Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Thank you, Pastor Spence, and uh, good morning, Mercy Church. How y'all doing today? Good. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, As many of you guys know, tomorrow is a day that we set aside uh, each year as a country to honor, to thank, to celebrate those who have served in our armed forces and particularly those who have died while doing so. I'm sure many of you guys here today have family members, have friends who serve in the armed forces, have served in the armed forces, maybe have died while doing so. And so today, what we want to do as we begin our services, while there are a few words that could ever express our gratefulness, is to simply say thank you to those people who have served us. So would you join us, church, in thanking those who have served our country? Yeah. In addition to being a day when we get to honor those who've served our country, Memorial Day weekend is also the unofficial beginning to summer. Yesterday, I jumped into the pool for the first time. I see that many of you guys have spent a lot of time outside over the last couple days because you're a little rosy-cheeked, a little red-faced. You've gotten a little sunburn the last couple days. But uh, summer is an awesome time. There's just a sense of excitement, especially around the beginning of the summer when the lake's getting warm enough, when pools are getting warm enough to finally jump in. Schools are letting out all over our city, so people are getting excited about summer vacations. And I just love the excitement, the energy that comes this time of year. The beginning of summer has also become a special season for my family and I over the last few years because as Pastor Spence mentioned, it was four years ago this time that my family and I moved to Charlotte. Y'all, I was just graduated from seminary for a year. My wife and I had been married for two years. I could barely grow a mustache. It's not much better today, but it's there. And yet I was so compelled by this vision of Mercy Church that I was willing to pack my bags and to move here from Raleigh alongside many of you to see a gospel awakening in the city of Charlotte that was carried to the ends of the earth. And y'all, as I stand here with you today, that same vision that was compelling enough to move my new family to a new city to plant a new church with no guarantee of a paycheck anytime soon is the same vision that I stand here today and tell you I am just as compelled with it now as I was four years ago. Y'all, the church has been so, or God has been so gracious to us as a church. He's given us favor. He's given us fruit. We've had the opportunity to baptize, see new believers in the waters getting baptized so very often here. We've seen disciples made, sent out all over our country and world to make more disciples. Just in the last year alone, 21 of you have come up to me at some point over the year and have said that you sense the Lord stirring you to the nations long term. Y'all, the Lord has given our church so much favor and so much fruit over these last couple years. But even in the midst of this season when I've seen the Lord move more clearly than any other in my life, even in the midst of this season where I have seen personal growth more than any other in my life, I have spent much of the last four years feeling exhausted and feeling tired because I've fallen into a trap. I'm sure many of you guys can relate to this. I've fallen into hard hat Christianity 
What I mean by that is if I do enough, if I serve enough, if I give enough of myself to other people, then I will earn their favor and I will earn their love. And while I never would have said it out loud, I also was believing in my heart and acting as if at the same time I would earn God's favor, God's love, God's approval. My problem was is that I got to a point that all of us get to, and that's that we realize we can't do enough to earn God's favor. And so rather than experiencing this overwhelming, unshakable sense of joy that the Bible says I can have in Christ, I got to a point where all I could say is I'm just tired. And so in order to escape the sadness, the exhaustion that I was feeling, I ran toward other things. I would pull up my bootstraps and work really hard every day when I came into work. And yet I would, at night, I would go home and I would veg out on Netflix for a couple hours. Or I would go to the gym to play basketball because it made me feel good about myself and there was very little else in my life that was making me feel good about myself. So I got to this point that the exhaustion, the tiredness just kept growing and growing and growing. And the scariest part of it all is, is that very few of you would have ever known that anything was wrong with me. If you interacted with me, if you spoke with me, because I was just clever enough, I'd been around church just long enough that I knew how to play the game. And I didn't just know how to play it, y'all. I was one of the best at playing the game. I was the LeBron. I was the Giannis of playing the church game. Listen, my earliest memories in life are of going to potluck dinners and getting kisses with ladies with blue hair and lipstick leaving all over my face. Y'all, my family every single year used to go to the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting as a vacation. (laughs) That's not a joke. It's true. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, I surrendered my life under the leadership of a pastor that was the future president of an SBC entity. And because he wasn't available the day that I needed to get baptized, I was baptized instead by an SBC seminary president. Y'all, my dad has been in vocational ministry for his entire career, and I stand here before you today, and I am a pastor. Believe me, I can spit church game better than you can ever imagine. But can I tell you something today? I grew so tired of living my life like that. I grew so tired of walking the walk and talking the talk, but, not, but my life not being marked by this overwhelming, unshakable sense of joy that the Bible says that I can have in Christ. And so over the last year, the hardest year of my life, the Lord has grown within me this burden, this desire, not only for myself to find true joy, but for my family and for our church to find true joy in Christ. And the Lord, through this last season, he has been with me. And y'all, he has gotten me through a hard season. And the way that he did it was that he showed me that only in him can I find true joy in Christ. And so today, what I want to proclaim to you is simply giving you a glimpse of this hope, of this joy that I have begun to experience. My main point for us today, if you leave with just one thing, leave with this. It's that God will Not God can, God will bring you to joy if you are most satisfied in him. God will bring you to joy if you are most satisfied in him. The way I'm gonna do so is we're gonna walk through one of the most beautiful uh, beautiful passages in all of the scriptures. It shows so clearly God's heart for us. So if you would, please open to Psalm chapter 16 if you brought your Bible with you. The way I'm gonna show you that true joy can only be found in Christ is by walking through this psalm and asking us two really simple questions today. The first question is, how can you have satisfaction 
And the second question is, how can you have joy? Two really simple questions. How can you have satisfaction and how can you have joy? First question today, how can you have satisfaction? If you would, please read with me verses one through two in Psalm 16. The words are gonna be up on the screens if, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today. It says this, it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. All right, y'all, we need a little context after the first couple chapters uh, of this psalm. This psalm is written by none other than David himself. You guys are familiar with David. He was a shepherd boy who killed Goliath with a slingshot and then became king. He was a pretty big deal. But David, even though he was a really big deal, things in life didn't come quite so easy for him. When God called David to be king and he made that known to people, Saul, the current king, just wasn't really having it. And so he decided to chase David around with a huge army to try to kill him. That sounds pretty appropriate, right? That didn't end with just Saul, though. You see, much of David's life, he was marked in times of struggle, in times of battle, in times even when he was fearful of his life. And so it's very likely to believe that this psalm, Psalm 16, was written in one of those times when David was scared, when he was running, when he was fearful for his own life. And so in this moment, David goes to the only one he can. You see where he went? He went to his God, his Lord, and he asked him to preserve him. He asked him to watch over him, to keep him safe. And then he connects his ask for preservation with who God is. He says, God you can preserve me because you are my refuge. You are my shelter. You are my safety. You are worthy for me to surrender my very life to. As many of you guys know, I grew up in the state of Kentucky. It is a state that's so great that they call it a commonwealth. I don't really know what that means, but they call it that. In addition to being a commonwealth, Kentucky also brings a lot of other great things to the table. It brings horse racing. It brings bourbon for those of you who like that. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Corvettes, and of course, the best of all, it brings Kentucky men's basketball, the greatest, most winningest basketball program in the history of the world. Y'all, I had to get that in there when Pastor Spence wasn't up here. You can't, you, can't, you can't hate on me for that. But in addition to bringing Kentucky basketball uh, and a lot of other great things in our lives, you guys might be surprised to hear that Kentucky also brings with it a lot of pretty serious tornadoes every, every year, especially this time of the year. A lot of tornadoes are going around in Kentucky. When I was a child, I had this recurring nightmare that involved tornadoes. I'd be sitting in my house or I'd be in some building and I'd look across to the window and I would see a tornado or maybe multiple tornadoes coming at me. Pretty creepy, right? And so what I would do is I would try to go find shelter in some place in the house. I would go to the basement, I would go to a bathroom, I would go to the center of the house. And yet every time I got to one location of shelter, the tornado would show up and it would be like right in my face. And so I, being the smart one that I was, would turn and run. I was pretty fast back then, so I could outrun a tornado. I would run to another place of shelter. And yet every single time that I got to a new place, the tornado would be right up on me until I got to the point that I got to one place of shelter and the tornado was so close to me that I couldn't run anymore. And like that, I would wake up before I died. Pretty creepy, pretty creepy dream, right? That's like a nightmare. They're, they're pretty creepy. But what was happening in my dream is that I was running to seek to find shelter. I was trying to find refuge in so many places, and yet all of them kept not meeting my needs, kept meeting my desires. I can stand here today and tell y'all, I believe many of you all are doing the exact same thing in your lives. 
You see, you're running to other places. You're running for a sense of refuge, for a sense of comfort in so many things and in so many people. For me, I oftentimes run to my job. If things are going well in my job, if I'm performing well, if my team is flourishing, then I feel good about life. Things are stable and I'm happy. But when things start to not go well at work, my life becomes a mess and I don't know what to do about it. And so I sacrifice everything else to make things in my job stable. For you, maybe it's your family. A lot of you guys know the term helicopter parents. There's parents who are always around their kids, helicoptering, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they're okay, making sure that they don't eat dirt. And yet they're hovering around their kids all the time because if everything is okay with their kids, with their family, then everything else in their life is okay. But when it's not, they sacrifice everything to make it okay with their family. For some of you, it's your bank account. You check your retirement account. You check your savings account three times a day. And as long as you have that safety net, you're good. But whenever that safety net starts to drop, you drop everything. You sacrifice everything to make it better. The problem is that these things, while some of them are good, were never meant to carry the weight of your soul. They were never meant to be your refuge. What David opens his psalm telling us is that only God is meant to be our refuge. The first way that you need to find satisfaction is really simple today, y'all, is to surrender your life to the Lord. Surrender your life to the Lord because true satisfaction in life can only come when we see the way to gain our life is by laying it down, by giving, by surrendering it to someone who can make it more satisfying than anyone or anything else could ever dream. I know there are many of you in this room who need to surrender your life to the Lord for the very first time today. You've been running after things you weren't meant to run after. You've been chasing after things you weren't meant to chase after. And like me, you come here today and you're just tired. You're worn out. It's like you've been wandering through the desert thinking if you keep drinking sand, you'll be satisfied, but it just keeps making you more thirsty and more thirsty. Can I tell you something today that I learned the really hard way? Surrender your life to the Lord today and fully because he is the true living water that will satisfy. He loves you more than you could ever imagine and he wants to be in a relationship with you. Surrender your life to the Lord. I promise you that in him, you will find more satisfaction, more joy, more happiness than in anything else you could ever find. For others in the room, you're here today and you're a Christ follower. You've surrendered your life to the Lord. You've been walking with him for some time now. And yet as you sit here today, you realize that there's some things in your life that you're still holding a tight fist on. For me, it's my job. For you, it's your family or your bank account or someone or something else. When God calls us to surrender our lives to him, he's not just calling us to surrender parts of our lives and keep others that we hold on to for a while. He wants all of us. And y'all, he wants all of us because that's what's best for us. That's what's for our good. In these first couple verses, David calls out to the Lord. He asks him to preserve him. He surrenders the weight of his soul. He surrenders even his life, all of himself to the Lord because he knows that the only one who can carry him the only one who can bring him to true rest, to true peace, to true satisfaction, no matter what this world throws at him, is God himself. And then his ask, David's ask, leads him to praise God for who he is. You are my refuge. You are my Lord. That's the second way that you need to find satisfaction today. You need to praise God for who he is to you, not just what he can do for you. Today, y'all, you need to praise God for who he is to you, not just what he can do for you. Check out the second half of verse two with me. 
says this. It says, I have no good apart from you. Hold up, David. Are you serious? You are the king of the world. You are a master military strategist. You have more riches, more fame than anyone can ever imagine. Are you serious saying that you have no good apart from God? You must be exaggerating, David. David is not exaggerating here. He's saying, sure, the Lord has given me a lot of good things. James in the New Testament says every good gift is from the Lord. The Lord is gracious to give each of us, you and me, incredible gifts. What David is saying here is that nothing, nothing can compare to God's goodness because God and God alone are his supreme treasure. That's an easy thing for me to say today, y'all. It's an easy thing for you to be sitting in your chair and to say, hmm, that's a good point. But when you think about it, do you think more about who God is or what he can do for you? Way to explain this really simply is in my marriage. Do you think my marriage is more healthy with Jessica when I focus more on what she can do for me or who she is to me? Y'all, I can focus on what she does for me because she does so much good for me a lot of times. But whenever I focus on just that, it's gonna leave me feeling maybe happy for a moment, but then I'm very quickly gonna get disappointed. Y'all, that was the reason that Jess and I fought for the first year, most of our first year of marriage. But when I look at her, when I celebrate her, for who she is, in that I can truly find happiness. I can truly find pleasure. The same thing exists with us and with God. We so often pursue him because of the things he could do for us. I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna sacrifice for you. I'm gonna do good things for you just to get the real things that we actually get joy out of. David says we need to switch our mindset here. We don't need to be running after things and doing God. We need to be running after God and doing things because God is the joy, God is the meaning, God is the only thing we can't lose. Not all the good things he can give to us. David keeps building on this idea that God is his supreme treasure in the next couple verses. Look at verse three with me. It says, and as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Y'all, this is hitting at one of those things that the Lord gives us delight in, one of these good things that we receive to him. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. And David doesn't say, doesn't mean that he has delight in God's people instead of God or above God. What he means is that he's talking about those people who have surrendered to God, who've made him their supreme treasure, just like David said, David has. And so because of that, he can be with them, he can worship with them, he can serve with them together and have a sense of delight in who God is because both of them are ultimately finding their delight in the greatest treasure in God himself. Y'all, the community of Christ is not something that David says we should begrudgingly go and seek to pursue or that we should push away in times of trouble. He is saying that in the community itself of God, we can find delight. Y'all, there's so much more I could say about community, but I'm gonna stop for the sake of time. That's for another day. We'll move on to verse four. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will pour out or take their names on my lips. David keeps dropping fire throughout the rest of this passage. So much I could get into with this verse. Pastor Spence actually focused on this verse in a sermon he preached a couple months ago on Psalm 16, where he focused on counterfeit gods. If you want a more thorough explanation of this verse and what it means for our lives, Pastor Spence gives an incredible one in his message. You can go on our website, mercycharlotte.com, to see that. But for the sake of time today, let me just hit the main thing this verse is getting at. God gives us good gifts, yes. But our problem is when we elevate the good things God gives us to ultimate things. And because they're ultimate things in our life, 
We worship them. We give ourselves to them rather than to the giver of the gifts themselves. And when we run to anything else other than God to worship, to treasure, it just multiplies our sorrows because they will never satisfy, they will never nourish, they will never sustain us the way that God can. So David says, I'm not even going to take their names on my lips. David keeps going, praising God in verse five. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. David is saying, God, if there is a full table of food and drink out before me, if I could choose a 22-ounce bone-in medium-rare ribeye and you, God, you better believe it. I'm choosing you because you are my portion. You are my satisfaction. Only in you can I find my greatest delight, my greatest treasure, my greatest satisfaction. Second half of verse five, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a great inheritance. What on earth is David getting at here? With all these lots and lines and places, it sounds like David is playing a big game of Settlers of Catan. Yes, I am a dweeb. Yes, I like to play Settlers, and I've got some pretty good game too. But what David is saying, let me explain it here a little bit because it's beautiful. David's using descriptive language to, to point our brains back to what God tells the Israelites in the book of Numbers. Every time I say Numbers, I'm really hoping every time that somebody will just go, yeah, that's my favorite book, but it never happens. Uh, but today in Numbers, God, uh, God told David this, or he told the Israelites this. God was gonna give each tribe a specific area with specific boundary lines, and the way that everything was gonna be decided, the way they were gonna get their inheritance was by casting lots. And so everyone in the book of Numbers got their inheritance until they got to the Levites. You see, the Levites were God's chosen priest for the people of Israel. And so God doesn't give them land. Instead, God says, you are to be my inheritance, or I am to be your inheritance, actually, is what he says. You see, for the Levites, God was supposed to be their very inheritance. And for us, it's the same way. Because if I don't have you, God, everything else would be worthless. Because satisfaction is not based on what God can do for me. It is based on who he is to me. Land would be insufficient. Money would be insufficient. Cars would be insufficient. Because God, you are my greatest satisfaction. Check out verse seven. David says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God has not only been worthy to be praised because he is David's refuge, his Lord, his treasure, his inheritance. David goes one step further. He says, God is his trusted counselor. Even at the nighttime when my brain is racing, anybody relate to that? My brain was racing last night as I was just thinking about this sermon. Even at night when my brain is racing, even when I am asleep, God, you will be with me. God, you will comfort me. God, you will instruct me. God, you will point me to the true one that I need to place my longing, my greatest heart's desire in, which is you. What grace this is. David has spent the last seven verses praising God for who he is. Likely, while he's in the midst of a battle or running from his life, it seems like David is in a tornado. And yet, even in the midst of a hard season in his life, David has been having a party for the last seven verses. And I believe many of you need to hear that today because you're experiencing some suffering, you're experiencing some trials, and you don't know how you can have a sense of satisfaction in the midst of them. 
Maybe you're in the middle of a tornado yourself today. You or a family member has cancer. A lot of our members have that going on right now. Maybe you or some of your closest friends have been in a fight for a really long time and you just don't know how to get out of it. Whatever it is, even in the midst of suffering and trials, David is telling us that God not only can be trusted, but he can be worshiped. And you too, like David, can find satisfaction in God if you surrender your life in him, to him, and if you praise him for who he is to you, not just what he can do for you. But why is, that, why is it that we can get satisfaction? Why can we have joy? Let me show you that today with the rest of our time we have together. Second question, why can you have joy? Read with me verse eight. It says, I've, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Y'all, we've seen so far that David's ask for preservation has led to praising God for who he is. He's praised God for seven verses and now what does he have? David has confidence. Did you notice what he said? He said, I shall. Whoa, that's a serious word, right? Shall, so much more confident than saying will. I shall not be shaken. There's no way I'm gonna be moved, even in hard times. There's no way I'm gonna be moved, even in the midst of trouble. Why? Because the Lord is always before him. The Lord is at David's right hand, the same one who is my refuge, my treasure, my inheritance, my counselor. He is always with me. He will never leave me. And as we're on the other side of the cross today, we know that David had an idea, what David had an idea about here in Psalm 16. And that's that when we surrender our lives to the Lord, he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to instruct us, to counsel us, to restore our souls by pointing us to the gospel. Listen, I know when I say the Holy Spirit, a lot of you guys start getting squirmy and a little bit sweaty because you don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. You don't know what to call him or do I call it it? Like what is going on with this Holy Spirit that the Bible always talks about? Let me try to explain it to you to give you a little bit more clarity. I think a lot of times when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think as if the Holy Spirit is like the genie in the movie Aladdin. The, the live action Aladdin movie came out just a couple of days ago. A lot of you guys have seen it. Don't spoil it for me because I wanna see it. But uh, in the original cartoon version that I grew up on, Aladdin, the main character in the movie, he finds this lamp while he's in a cave. He's trying to brush off the lamp to read something on it. And when he brushes the lamp off, this blue genie comes out of it. Makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that would happen in a lot of our lives today. But this blue genie comes out of the lamp and the genie gives David three wishes. And then as soon as he gives him the three wishes or as soon as David tells him whatever he wants, so the genie goes back in the lamp and then David summons him whenever he wants something. A lot of us think like the Holy Spirit, like the genie in Aladdin. We think he's this power. We think he's this influence. We think he's these, this random thing that comes around every once in a while. Whenever I need something from him, but in order to get him to come around, I have to do all the right things. I have to rub the lamp in just the right way. I have to have a good devotional time in the morning. I have to come to worship him on Sunday morning, and then he's gonna come to me. Y'all, what I wanna tell you today is that the Holy Spirit is not a genie that comes and goes to primarily gives us, give us things. The Holy Spirit is God who is with us always to give us primarily God. And for those of us who are Christ followers, our problem is not if we have the presence of the Spirit. You know what our problem is? It's that if we experience the presence of the Spirit, because the Spirit is always there. Like with David, he's always at our right hand. Can you imagine today the confidence you would have in your life if you really believed that God himself 
was with you always. You go into your devotional time in the morning. God, I know you're with me now as you're with me always. Speak to me today. I trust you. Maybe you're going into that, uh, maybe you're going into that presentation at work or at school and you're anxious about it. God, I know you are with me now as you are with me always. Be with me. I know you're going to be here. Give me comfort. Give me rest in you. God, I trust you. Y'all, this has been a truth that my wife Jess and I have had to cling to more than any over the last year. And that's because last spring we learned that we had the first of what we would then experience to be two miscarriages in a matter of three months. Y'all, we prayed this prayer. God, you are with us now as you are with us always. Give us joy no matter what the outcome of, the, of this situation because you are worthy to be worshiped today just like you will be worthy to be worshiped for all of eternity. God, we trust you. Y'all, we, we prayed that prayer. We trusted in that prayer. As we went into the doctor's appointment when Jess first started feeling a little bit uncomfortable, we prayed that as we grieved the loss of our first child, as we grieved the loss of our second child, we continue to pray and rest in that truth today as we stand here. And my wife is probably going to have a baby any day now. Y'all, because that truth, that, that the Holy Spirit is with you always, that's not just something that's simple that doesn't matter for you. That's something that can absolutely transform your life. Y'all, but confidence is not the end for the Christ follower. It leads to something else for us. Check out verse nine. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. David is saying here, I not only have confidence, I have gladness, I have security, I have joy because of the presence of your spirit. The first reason you can have joy today if you are a Christ follower is this. It's that the presence of the spirit is with you. The presence of the spirit is with you. And because he is with you always and because he is never changing, that joy that we can have in him is unshakable. It's overwhelming, y'all. It's heart, it's body, it's soul. Look how David continues to describe it in verse 10 and 11. Listen to the beauty and the splendor here. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David is sure that all God has been to him, his refuge, his Lord, his treasure, his inheritance, his counselor, it will not end in death. It's actually gonna get better as he will experience joy fully and forevermore. Do you get the beauty, the splendor that David is talking about here? He started asking the Lord to preserve him. And of course, what he found was a refuge, but he fell into so much more because David fell into joy in the presence, in the very face of God himself. And that joy that David describes here is described as fullness. Y'all, there is no more full that joy can be than fullness. And it also says that that joy is forevermore. There is no longer time that he could experience joy than forevermore, than eternity. Y'all, this is awesome. And that joy that David is saying that he can have, that joy today is for you too. It's for me too. If we find our greatest satisfaction in Christ. Y'all, something very important though has been left out of our time together so far this morning. Before he wrote this psalm, David had been given a promise. 
The prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7 told him this. It'll be up on the screen. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, David knew from God's word that he would die and lie in a grave like his followers. But at the same time, he knew God would raise up one of his descendants who would establish a kingdom with no end, who would defeat death and evil. You see, David believed this promise that God had given him through Nathan, but he wasn't really sure how it was gonna all shake out, how it was gonna come true. What we know today on this side of the cross is that verse 10 the promise to David that his soul wouldn't be abandoned to Sheol, to hell, we know it is a promise of something greater. The Apostle Peter got it right in his sermon at Pentecost. When talking about Psalm 16 and Acts, he said this. He said, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. You see, David believed and found joy in the promise that he had been given by God. And that same promise that David believed of a future resurrection is the same promise that is for us in Christ today. The second reason why we can have joy is that just like it was true for David, the promise of the resurrection is for you. The promise of the resurrection is for you. What David had an idea of, though, we have already seen the beginning of because we know that Jesus, the Messiah, the long-hoped-for final king of kings, allowed death to swallow him up for the sake of sinners. But before death could take him down and turn him to dust, he killed death. He killed death for himself and for all who belong to him, for all who surrender to him. And one day, as it says in Revelation 21, he will resurrect all of his children. He will restore them and all of creation and we will reign with him forever at his right hand, in his presence, face to face, fully and forever joyful alongside of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Y'all, that is joy. David rested in that truth that death was not the end. He was confident that whatever was before him, the trials, the sufferings, the tornadoes, he could rejoice in God and you can too today. Because the same way that God was faithful to David, the same way he was faithful when he fulfilled the promise to die and rise three days later for your sins and mine, the same way he will be faithful for all of eternity is the same way he will continue to be faithful to you and me right now. And y'all, that brings us to nothing more than full and forever joy. Not momentary happiness or fleeting pleasure, but as Pastor Tim Keller defines it, Joy is delight in God and his salvation for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Joy is delight in God and his salvation for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. This is the joy that David had when he cried out to God to preserve him. This is the same joy that you and I, if we are in Christ, can have today and that we will have for all of eternity. God will, through the presence of his spirit and the promise of the resurrection, bring you to joy if you are most satisfied in him. Y'all, I desire so deeply for us to be a church that is utterly and totally satisfied in Christ. And because of it, we have an overwhelming, unshakable sense of joy. 
So I have one question for us all as we close out our time together this morning, and that's this. Are you most satisfied in God? Are you most satisfied in God today? If you aren't, it's a sign you're running after something or someone else, and as long as you keep chasing those gods, you will never be satisfied. As Peter finished up his sermon in Acts chapter two on Psalm 16, he challenged the crowd to two things. He challenged them to repent, and he challenged them to believe. And that's my same challenge for you today, church. Repent, confess to God the things or people you have been trying to find refuge in, and then believe, turning from them and surrendering your life to Jesus, seeing that he is all you need for full and forever joy. To close out our time together this morning, I'd like to ask you guys to simply just get in a posture of prayer now before you and God. You see, Psalm 16 at its simplest is a prayer. It's a prayer that's full of the promises of God that just as they were true for David, they are true for you and me today. And so I simply just wanna pray it over you. And as I do, just simply feast on who God is, not only for David, but who he is for you today. If you aren't a Christ follower, look and see the worth, the beauty of who our God is. Surrender your very life to him. You can have a relationship with him today. Hear and respond to the word of the Lord, church. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand.